the success of the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. You name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls. Uh, you know what? I think we're going to get to the calls right now. These hours just fly by. I have some things I want to talk about, but uh, we may get to those in a bit. Let's see what it is you want to talk about tonight. Let's start off in Oklahoma. Jack, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Hello. Um, I've got an older Detroit an O2, it's a 60 series, got a hundred or 729,000 miles on it, and I'm wanting to go to synthetic. My brother says go pure synthetic. And I talked to him up at TNE here in Wichita, here in Kansas City, and they said maybe go blend for the first oil change or two. And I was wanting your opinion on it. Um, how how often do you have to add a gallon of oil? What's the oil consumption like? I put a gallon in at 9,000 after an oil change, and then again at about 16, and I usually try and change it about 16, but if I have to go to 22, I'm about another gallon low. So are you going to maintain this same oil change interval with the synthetic? You're still going to do it, you know, at the same time you're changing it now? Well, I, want, I wanted to get that EcoPure system put on is what i wanted to do well and that that's kind of the question because yeah. as much as i love synthetic i would never put synthetic in and do 15 or 20 or twenty-five thousand mile oil changes it just doesn't make economical sense the oil's too expensive the fuel economy savings yeah. aren't enough but if you're going to put on the eco pure then absolutely that's when i really recommend switching to synthetic a synthetic blender, a full synthetic, I, it's hard to say which one's going to work better. My guess is that on a full synthetic, you're going to go from a gallon at 9,000 probably to about a gallon at 6,000 initially. It may slow down a little bit, but you'll probably end up with about a gallon at 7 and maybe again at 14 or 15. Um, so I, I, this is a fairly tight engine. A gallon at 9,000 is is good for that engine. So I think this is a good candidate to go to either one. I mean, I I don't know how we pick. I like full synthetic, so that would be my choice. I would try the full synthetic first, and as long as I wasn't using a lot more oil, I would just stick with that. Okay. That sounds like a reasonable deal. Yeah, I I think like I say, some older engines, if they're really burning a lot of oil, it's 
Although I still don't mind it, especially if you're doing long extended drains with the EcoPure. If I have to put in a gallon every five or 6,000, it's not that big of a deal. It keeps the oil nice and fresh, keeps the base up. So even when an engine goes through more synthetic oil, I still find it a, a much better method. And then we do get the fuel economy savings as well. Let's uh, let's go to Kansas. Rich, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Um, yesterday you were talking about the anti-collision radar deals on the front of the truck, and the guy said that uh, I call them ghost readings, where it was actually throwing the brakes on. Yeah. And you said that was. You said that was bogus? Uh, it's not. We've got quite a few trucks in our fleet of the early 17s where it'll actually throw the brakes on when you go underneath the overpass. I'm not saying it, that the ghost readings weren't bogus. He started off by claiming oh. people were hacking the computer to cause this. Oh, no. Not by hacking. Exa- right. The, no. The, what, we, what we figured out is the, it's a merit, Meritor wire harness. And they, they don't have a big enough to handle all their information, and that's where the yeah. ghost reading, most of the ghost readings come from. No, I agree with you. These systems are not perfect. They're not perfected. And there are several different systems on the market. I mean, I had the Eaton Vorad. Yep. Virtually no yep. ghost readings whatsoever. I, not, in in 1.3 yeah. million miles, we never had the truck apply the brakes when it wasn't supposed to. And even that system wasn't perfect. But my point was we've had that since the early 2000s. This technology is not all that new. They're using cameras. They're using sensors. People think, oh, but what, you know, if it's using GPS, what happens in construction? Well, nobody is putting a truck on the road as autonomous with only GPS, They're using GPS, they're using sensors, they're using cameras, they're using all kinds of technologies. And they're not like Jetson technology. This is stuff, it already exists, it's already working. Then the other argument that always comes in is, oh my God, you know, terrorists are going to hack these things and, and, you know, kill people all over the road. No, they're not. And that was his claim that somebody had hacked this computer to create these false readings. It's just not happening. No, no. You know, if, if, if look at all the vehicles that are already connected to the Internet. GM has had OnStar for how long? Mercedes has had their version. Almost every automaker has a version of a connected vehicle. Well, if these things yep. are so easy to hack, why hasn't it been done? That part, I don't, I don't believe in. They're going to hack it either. So, and and I'm not saying it couldn't I, be hacked, but it's not going to be hacked on any yeah. large scale. That it, it's much easier for a terrorist to just get in a truck and drive it through a crowd. I mean, why go through all the hassle of hacking it when they're willing to kill themselves right. over this stuff? Right. 
All right. That's all I had today. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Rick. You are absolutely correct on those kind of readings and problems. I wouldn't argue that at all. My argument was he was claiming somebody had hacked the computer to do it. Let's go to Georgia. Daniel, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, I had a NutriQ that I did, and uh, I don't know if you have it in front of you. I do. Uh, tell me about right. tell me about your diet recently. What what have you been doing? Uh, keto. Uh, I did. A, I started uh, around the fifteenth of August, and I took this about a week after. Okay. Uh, there's actually a lot of good news here. You, you're not scoring outrageously high on anything except sugar handling. You're pretty right. darn high on sugar handling. Everything else is not bad at all. It's possible you might be looking at some SIBO, maybe. Um, but other than that, I, I don't think we're we're looking at any really difficult problems here. You're a little high on adrenal. Actually, adrenal is your second highest. Sugar handling and adrenals go hand in hand. The poor sugar handling so what causes is, adrenal. What is SIBO? SIBO is, is when, you know, we, when we talk about the good bacteria or the bad bacteria in our gut all the time and how important it is. Right. That All of that bacteria should stay in our large intestine and our colon. But in SIBO, it manages to make its way up into the small intestine. Usually it's dietary issues and digestive problems. Once it gets up there, it's hard to get it out of there. And, and when it's there, it causes lots of problems. You're scoring fairly high on small intestines, so that's one of the things we always look for. Um, because if, if the way we fix everything is through nutrition. But if our diet or, or if our digestion is compromised in any way, then it's hard to get the nutrition. If you have SIBO, it will block the absorption of the nutrients you're eating. So you're eating a really clean diet, but you're not absorbing it. So we always keep an eye out for, for both SIBO and leaky gut. Those are the two digestive problems we need to solve so that we get the nutrition to fix everything else. The good news on the SIBO is we have a... Uh, just one simple uh, supplement that was designed by a gastroenterologist just for SIBO, and it works amazing. If you have it, you take this supplement in a day or two, you start to see some relief from some of the symptoms of why you're scoring high what on small that? intestine. Let me, uh, let me get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk about that right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website, letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to the phones. I was talking with Daniel in Georgia. So, uh, Daniel, the most common um, symptom, it doesn't always have to be there, but the most common symptom of SIBO is bloating right after you eat. Feeling that pressure kind of up high in the stomach, um, gas, bloating, a lot of belching, sometimes uh, like a low-grade nausea after you eat, joint pain, fatigue. Um, Again, there can be lots of signs because it's blocking nutrition, and without the nutrition, we can see all kinds of problems. So it might be one of the things we look at. Uh, Kim just informed me also that she was looking at your specific symptoms, Um, your pulse races after you eat. That's a really good sign of a food intolerance, a food you're reacting to. That, that's what we identify with the FIT test. We can also do what's called a COCA's pulse test, which that's what we're looking for. We're looking for your pulse increasing after you eat. That shouldn't happen. When it does, usually means you're responding negatively to something in your diet. Yeah, that hasn't happened as much um, lately, uh, but I've also, the light balance has helped with that dramatically. Okay. And that, that sometimes that can be, a, it, it does, because sometimes a, a racing heart or heart issues can be um, a sign of mineral imbalance. And that's where the, the light balance comes in. So that may be a, an issue. You're still pretty early into the keto. Um, Right. You know, you could just stick with keto alone for a month and then see what happens. You, you could, you know, always I've, address digestion. It, it never hurts to work on digestion. But, you know, as far as the sugar handling and the adrenal, we could just wait and see how well keto does. Well, I'm taking those uh, adrenal fatigues. I ordered those uh, from you guys, and, and they I've been taking them for about a week. Um, and I've seen my uh, blood sugar uh the average for the seven day is seventy eight. For the okay, last thirty, good. it's been eighty nine. Well, that's a and that's, uh, that's a good in the sign. Morning and eating afterwards. Yeah, that that's a good sign. I mean, any time blood sugar numbers come okay. down, um, that's exactly what we're hoping to see, and those are pretty darn good results for just a week. Yeah, um, it's been amazing. Uh, it started out at four hundred and five pounds on the fifteenth. And I'm down to 372. Wow, that's incredible. So that that's yeah. also a good yeah. sign of a lot of things. It's probably a good sign that your digestion really isn't that bad. We're, we're not seeing anything crazy on there. The rest of your systems are good. When we see that, we tend to see people that get really good, quick results out of keto. And that's a good sign that a lot of other things are working right. So my, my blood ketone levels, they're, they sit around about the 1.1 on average. Um, should, I be ha- should I be satisfied with that? I think that's an excellent place to be. Um, it's funny that you mentioned 1.1. Okay. I, have a, I have a new meter that I'm testing. Um, it's much, much easier to get the ketone strips for it. It's a blood meter. Um, and I've taken like 10 readings already, and seven of them have been 1.1. I was wondering if the meter was just stuck for a while. It, but this morning, I actually got 1.7, right. 
1.7 for me is crazy high. Um, very seldom do I get to okay. those kind of numbers. Um, and I think it was just yesterday I was really, really low carb all day. I mean, I, I'll bet I didn't eat 15 grams of carbs yesterday at all. It was just one of those really low carb days for me. Um, so 1.1 I think is ideal. I I will get, you know, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 when I'm eating the way I normally eat. And in order to get over one, I, I've got to get pretty strict low carb to get there. So I think you're on the right track. I would just keep doing what you're doing. Let's head off to Washington. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, I have a tax question. Um, first six months of the year, I was an independent contractor, and I made about $20,000. And I bought a truck. I got it in July. And I'm about at twenty to 25000 of profit. And I kind of wondering, I'm leased onto a company and I don't know, I've been kind of asking myself a question, you know, how do I, what am I going to file as if I, I know you say it about 47,000, I think is where you want to file as not sole proprietor, but LLC. No, the numbers, the numbers about 60, the numbers about 65,000 of, of true net profit. And that means after depreciation, after per diem, after everything we're allowed on a tax return, it's about 65. Okay. And if you're asking about this year, you don't have a choice on how to fi- file. You are a sole proprietor if you do nothing else. You have to make the formal filings to become an S-Corp or an LLC, and that has to be done in very specific times. You'll have like the first 90 days of next year to file as an S-Corp for 2018. There's nothing you can do about 2017. Okay, okay. Um, is that, I'm kind of predicting about right around 65,000, 60 to 70,000 as my income for this year. So I should be good for this year, I'm thinking. Um, well, and like I say, I it won't, to won't next year won't even really matter for this year. There's nothing you can do if you end up making a hundred thousand. You're just going right. to have to pay tax on it as a sole proprietor. And again, I just want you to really be sure that you're looking at the true net income after depreciation and per diem. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't even think about per diem or depreciation in that. So. I think I should be good for this year under the sixty-five thousand. Oh yeah. But next year, I know that I'll I'll be over that. So, as somebody who's leased onto a company, I have can I file for that at the beginning of next year? Yes. And yep. Without getting my own authority and still run under somebody else's authority? Or how does that work? I, yeah, it's kind of confusing be, to me. No, I, I, and it confuses a lot of people. So the, separate those two things you just mentioned because they have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. One, one issue is what form of business do you want to operate as? Right now you're a sole proprietor. What we recommend is actually forming an LLC and being taxed as an S-Corp. And you would file for that in January. 
So you could start doing the homework, you know, figuring it all out. You got the rest of this year in January. It's a pretty simple process. File some paperwork, pay some fees, and you're an LLC. Then you let the IRS know that you're going to file as an S-Corp. Um, there's lots of people can handle that for you. You can do some research online and figure out how to do it yourself. It, it's not really that difficult. So that is one issue. It has nothing to do with how you run the trucking side of things, whether you want to have your own authority, be leased to a carrier, work with brokers, doesn't matter. The, the two have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. Okay, okay. That makes it, that sounds good to me. All right. So good luck with that. Uh, if you're sure on those numbers, then yes, forming the LLC and the S-Corp can save a lot of money in tax. Let's go to Florida. Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? I, um was interested to find out if there's a way to um, uh, get the earnings, the earning potential of uh, owner-operator on um, heavy haul or long, uh, low boy. You know, there, there are some numbers floating around out there. I've had access to a lot of those numbers. I don't find them all that useful. Uh, and when you get into the specialized segments, the, the numbers are even less useful because it's hard to find enough of them. You know, if we look at vans, there's, I mean, we have enough uh, van operators in our software that I can come up with pretty reasonable numbers. Same with flatbed and reefer. Right. Heavy haul, you, you get a bunch of outliers um, that that, that make the numbers inaccurate. And, and even when we have accurate numbers, I, I'm just not a big fan of this because we're almost always going to end up looking at, at averages. And averages can be really deceiving, and I don't want to be average anyway. So I, I would no, look I at... No, I don't either. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. So here's what I can tell you. There's money to be made in every segment of this industry. I don't care whether you're hauling trash or you're hauling the space shuttle. There's money to be made Mm -hmm. moving freight of all kinds. It's a matter of being good at that kind of freight and providing value. Let me me put you on hold. I'm going to come back to you after the break. We'll talk about this. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Rothfuss.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm talking with Dave in Florida. So, Dave, if, if we wanted to put together some preliminary numbers, it's actually easier than trying to dig in and find, you know, full accounting. If we look at, I'm assuming in this segment you're going to lease to a carrier. Uh, I I don't know yet. I did it uh, probably 25 years ago and loved doing it. Um, you, but I was calling, you know, for a private company at that time. Yeah, this um, is a segment. And, I, I'm I'm not going to say it's impossible to go out and get your own authority and do this because it's it's clearly not. You mm-hmm. you can do it with your own authority. When you get into the specialty segments, it's a little more difficult. Um, not to say that it's not worth doing. But you're, it's not like I can just jump on a load board and there's freight all over the place. Um, but I, right. I can always, you know, find brokers that specialize in this kind of freight. I could go out and find a couple direct shippers myself. It's just it is going to be more work to do this under your own authority. It's also going to be much more difficult to predict the numbers under your own authority. If we're leased to a carrier, I could go to just about any carrier I've done this many times and and get settlements from you know five of their owner operators and they can blank out the information I I just want to see what the average truck in their fleet generates for revenue once we see the revenue I, I can tell you about half of that revenue is a good way to figure out net without getting real complicated Somewhere between 40 and 50% of what you gross, you should be able to net. So if we find an operation where it's pretty common to gross, say, $180,000, I'm really sure I can keep 75 to 90 of that money. Right. Okay. Um you know, I don't know how much things have changed since uh, in 25 years. I'm sure a lot. Um, how would I know on on the uh, charges, um, mileage or weight or? You, you know, a lot of times it's a, a combination. If you're not like you said, 25 years, a lot hasn't changed really. It's surprising how the basic fundamentals haven't really changed much at all. Um, but if you're kind of out of touch with that segment, because it's such an expensive segment to operate in, and again, we've yeah. got to get clear. I mean, at one point early in my career, I tried running an 11 axle setup. It seemed like a really cool thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, and I was getting crazy rates. You know, 8 $9 an hour or, or a mile wasn't out of the question. My escort cars were making... 80 and 85 cents a mile back then, which I had trucks that weren't making that back then. And yet I struggled with that business because it, it, it is a tough, and if you were in it, you know, the getting permits, depending on how big loads are, getting permits can take a long time. Scheduling can take a long time. You're restricted on the hours you can run. It is a, you know, I tried it really early in my career, and I wasn't ready for it. Um, I didn't do horrible, but I eventually got rid of that setup because I, I didn't have the business knowledge back there to really back then to really manage it well. I, I might, if I were in your position, 
I would probably look at leasing to a carrier first because it's a quick, easy way to get re-familiarized with that segment of the industry without burning through a lot of money trying to learn it again. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for you the know, call. Um, oh, yeah, go I'll, ahead. I'll, on the um, question of the ghost errors, yeah, I've got a fair amount of knowledge in the um, in uh, controls, and uh, a lot of times if you're not using shielded wire on those, and you're using too many wires in the bundle, that mm-hmm. will also cause your ghost errors. Got it. Yeah, and and I I fully agree that all of these systems are are not going to be perfect. They're going to have errors. We will eventually work out those errors. And I know this freaks people out, but those errors will kill people. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. What people tend to forget Mm -hmm. is that we kill about 100 people on the roads every single day. We we seem to be okay with that. I've even posed the question to people, The numbers today, right now, we kill about 100 people on the highways every day. It goes on day after day after day. I've I've posed the question, what if we didn't even bother to work out all the bugs in this technology? What if we just throw autonomous out there? And honestly, it might only kill 50 people a day because we do know that computers are better at responding to a lot of data in a really short period of time, like milliseconds. As humans, we can't do that nearly as well, and we don't do it even when we're capable of it because we're texting and listening to the radio and watching the the eagle that just flew by, and we get distracted as humans. The technology doesn't really get distracted. But I've asked, what if we could put autonomous technology on the road and it only killed 50 people a day? People freak out. Well, that was a 100% improvement. But nobody's willing to go for that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It, I just it, thought it, I'd put it out there. No, I, I, make, I, I appreciate it. it. You, you are correct. There are issues. We can overcome those issues as well. I mean, we have lots of technology already in place that does these things and does it really, really well. You know, I... I it, I know I always come across as I'm defending these kinds of technologies. I'm not. I, I just want us to, to pay attention to reality. And the reality is this stuff is coming. Let's go to Virginia. Paul, welcome to the program. Yeah, pay attention to the facts, not the opinions. That's right. And not all, not all the emotion. Uh, on the weekend show, you recommended a tire to a guy, but I don't think it'll work. You recommended the little fat Michelin that us car carriers use? Yes. Well, he wanted to get up over 15,000 pounds. Well, you're only good for 14,780 on that little Michelin. Are you sure? I, of them. I thought it was 16-something. No, uh, 7,390 per tire. Uh, why don't so I think? To 14, Do they make it? Yeah, but they make it in a higher rating because I've got them on my coach and I'm, I've got a very, very heavy front axle on my coach. And I thought, 
I could the other thing when I when I looked at these numbers, I was looking at building that four axle configuration I talked about, and I needed to get the steer axle up over fifteen, and I could have swore I could do that with the XZA twos. Yeah, but I think there's another one that's like a three one five eighty or something. Or Maybe that's it. Yeah, and that's a, a that's key. the one that needs the bigger rim. Yeah, yeah. Well, this two nine five sixty that needs a a nine a nine or, yeah nine inch rim for that one. But okay, got yeah, it. Above that, I don't know. But, got um, it. Then I got a couple of comments about ELDs and hours of service. Yeah. Um. Guys say guys say that oh I like it the old way it used to be ten and eight ten and eight and you could split it but you could still only work seventy hours in eight days but now they have the thirty four hour break which if you burn up the seventy in your five and a half days you actually can work more than seventy in the eight if you wanted to. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go back to the ten and eight because I didn't like that anyway. I, I like more more time than eight hour break because always somebody wanting to push you. Oh, I need it quicker. So yeah, yeah, yeah you know it, it, so. the problem when they started screwing with the hours of service. Honestly, I, I think a better approach would be to change one thing at a time. They they changed some things that made things yeah. better, and then they changed some things that made things worse. Then they looked at the results and said, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's change it again. Oh, no, let's try this. And they've just made a mess of this. I mean, clearly, the one thing that everybody who understands this issue has said, I I just don't think you get any opposition to this, is when when you couldn't stop that clock. That's what everybody talks about, everybody agrees on, and yet... This is what we get. Every time they make a change, they just tend to make it worse because they have a lousy approach at making these changes. But maybe the ELDs will bring all this out. Maybe we'll get some real change in hours of service. That's where the real issues are. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. 
We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We are off to Alabama. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I kind of wanted to give you an update of what's going on with me. Yeah. Um, I was the guy that went through that terrible lease program, netting 13 cent a mile, and um, left. Uh, was able to pay my truck off and went over to Landstar and was on a dedicated account with Landstar. And um, I just kind of wanted to give you an update and let you know that I have filed for my authority. And as of this past Thursday, my authority is active. Ah, that's and exciting. You, I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of that. I am so proud of that. And, um, and, and, and listening to the things that you recommend to, to the drivers and listening to the things that you recommended to me, um, really helped me in that area because my equipment is paid off. I know my numbers. And not only that, um, you know, um, I didn't have to borrow any money to get this thing, uh, this process off the ground. And, and that's even including purchasing a trailer and paying for it cash also. And I that, do want to appreciate you uh, for that. In well, that, area. that is just awesome. Congratulations. You are officially a motor carrier. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I do appreciate it. And um, I don't, you know, I don't want to throw out any names or anything like that. But um, the, uh, I guess, the organization that that uh, submits uh, loads through the, you know, by push of a button. I don't want to put any names out there. Okay. Um, I put. They sent me one of their setup packages, and I read through all that, all of that eight-page document. And it was literally some things in there that I didn't agree with, that I didn't like, and um, and I just, you know, kind of refused to even even sign the set of contract with them. You know, I was just curious of what was all in it and all of that, and so so I mean that indemnification and all that, and I told the lady that I'm not, I can't outrun my insurance. You know, if something goes wrong you know, in that area. And, 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 and I guess my question to you is that um, whenever I set up these contracts like that or, or read these contracts, is it just in general that everybody have that type of language in the contract? It, it, or I just have to continue to look for the ones that don't have that language in there? Yes and yes. It, it is very common to have that language, but it, it, uh, it's always negotiable or you can always find somebody that doesn't have that language. But you're doing the right thing in that you're actually reading and saying, is this what I want to get involved in? And, and you're, you know, it, and that's the thing we have to remember about contracts is that people will say, oh, we just use a standard contract. Oh, we just use a boilerplate. There's no such thing. Every single right. contract needs to be read. And as painful as it is, you have to understand every clause in that contract if you want to be protected. Sometimes that even means having an attorney read it. Um, so you're doing the right thing by reading the contracts and making sure that, that you agree to what's in there. Okay. I, I was just wondering because, um, you know, and, and you know, one of the friends that's north of the border sent me his contract out of, out of his uh, – you know, out of his uh, uh, office, and um, and I liked his contract, and I immediately signed signed up with him, and I think he's been on your show a couple of times, a few times, and um, and I'm looking forward to work with work with him, 
working with him, but you know, but I, I was just looking at how these contracts are structured, structured, and those terms arising out of. Um, uh, I just didn't like those terms in that in that area, so I would just want to get a clarification on that. And again, I do appreciate everything you've done for me and doing for me and also giving me the advice. And I just wanted to call and give you an update on that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I love seeing people do the hard work and progress their business and have a plan. And uh, it's exciting. So, again, congratulations. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Steve, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for taking my call. I've been an owner-operator over 30 years, and I was pretty young when I got into it. But lately I've been having an idea about starting another business, and I start doing the hard work and everything, but it becomes overwhelming to me. Do you have any ideas on how I can get over being overwhelmed? Oh, boy. That that can be a tough one, and I, I've certainly been there because that's kind of been, you know, my progression throughout uh, my career. So I started with one truck, added trucks, became a broker, started a service truck on the side, and became completely overwhelmed and almost went bankrupt. So I I had that experience early on. But I, I also, once I, you know, got my financial house back in order, which took me four or five years after that debacle, um, I I still owned the trucks. I built a fleet of three so that they were bringing in enough income and I didn't need to drive full-time anymore. And then I created the accounting business and the software and the radio show. And so I, I certainly know what it's like to try to manage multiple businesses and it can be very overwhelming the 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 best advice i have is make sure that there's enough money coming in to to be able to spend that additional money and time on the new startup because the most stressful thing is to start running out of money in a venture like this so it's not always about the money, but we have to have the money taken care of. You know, I, I made sure that before I was starting my second business, my first was paying the bills and, and would continue to pay the bills while I was investing the time and money into the next venture. The other thing I would say is don't be in a hurry and really know your new business as well as you possibly can. Well, I'm concerned, you know, I mean, I'm for age, and um, uh, I keep thinking to myself, I've only got 10 or 15 years to really make this thing work, and, you know, that puts me deep into my 60s. I always find that as a discouragement, and I get really comfortable where I'm at because I've been doing this for so many years, and I've been making it work, and uh, see, there I am right back in that spot again, and uh, I just want to get out of that room and and move, uh, move forward with this other idea that I've got. Yeah, so... Uh, which involves me what I'm doing here, because right now I'm gone, so I'm gone a lot, um, and I would have to change uh, some more of a regional operation, which involves changing this business to make that business work, make it, the other one work, because I need to be home a little bit more. Well, then what I would say is I would... I would take this one step at a time. I would make that transition to a regional operation first and get that 
running properly so you know how much money's coming in, you know how much time it's going to take. I would do that first. And, you know, the 10 or 15 years, I would not let that be an issue. I, I have a habit of doing that sometimes too, thinking, oh, I'm going to start a project and then thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting older these days and I'm going to want to retire sometime. And honestly, I, I don't know that I'll ever retire, but I would not let the 10 or 15 years be a, a deterrent to this because 10 or 15 years is a long time. I mean, we can accomplish a lot in 10 years. So I, I would kind of, you know, get over that one and not let that be a big problem. And then the other piece of advice I would give you is that the discomfort you're feeling, that overwhelmed feeling, is not necessarily a bad thing. And, and sometimes we just have to learn to live with that feeling. And a lot of times that's why people don't do the things they really want to do in life because when they attempt it, they get that really uncomfortable feeling and they want to avoid that feeling. Well, I can tell you this. If you're going to accomplish anything in life, you're going to have to just get used to living with that feeling. It, it, and it's not a bad thing. It, it, it is a warning sign that we need to be paying attention. We're doing something new. We, things could go wrong. So sometimes it's a matter of we're probably not going to get rid of that feeling and we don't really want to anyway. We, we just learn to live with it and continue moving forward on what it is we want to do. All right, Kevin, I'll take that advice, and I'll thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for helping myself and building all of us out. I really appreciate you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, I'd love to get some to some more calls, but uh, I'm looking at the clock, and it looks like I'm going to have to wrap this up, and we will have to do it again. These, uh, these one-hour shows just fly by, but we'll be back. We'll do it again real soon. Thanks for joining me. Check out the website. There's always something new going on over there. It's letstruck.com. And we'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. And master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.